Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan again. Episode number 366, recorded Memorial Day, May 30th, 2022. And today we're doing two issues of the new, what I'm calling the Star Trek Spotlight miniseries that's done by IDW here in 2022. Although it does not say Spotlight anywhere in the book, but Comixology and Memory Beta both have it listed as Star Trek Spotlight. So, right. The that's comic, what I'm calling it. Sure. That's a good thing to call it. In the upper left-hand corner of the Klingons book, under the IDW logo, it says One Shot. So it's like, okay, One Shot, fine. One Shot, Spotlight, whatever. Yeah, so basically they're both number one. So we've got uh, Star Trek Ferengi was the second issue. And Star Trek Klingons was the first issue. Yeah. And? They're, they're interesting. That's great. I, I love it when they focus on little corners of the Star Trek universe like this. Yeah, I like the Star Trek Ferengi one in that it's actual characters that we know. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like, it's like it's an episode of uh, Deep Space Nine, you know, kind of focusing on right. Quark. Whereas the Klingon ones, the Klingon one, it's only one only covers Kalis. And it's kind of a story we already know, so it's not like we're getting a lot of new information. I mean, we're getting to see... I got a lot of new information. Well, we'll talk about it. Yeah, because I did not know... I mean, I knew that Kalis supposedly made the first Batleth, and you know he was the great leader and all that kind of stuff, but I didn't know many details of it. And... um, there was a lot more here for me that was new information than probably for you. Right. Well, but then there were some things that they just made up, obviously. So it was new for right. everybody. Yeah, they expanded it. Right. Yeah, I was really hoping, you know, when it was about Kalis, I was really hoping for it to be about Kalis and the guy that's the clone of Kalis. You know, who they actually made the clone of. Because oh, oh, it's not, that you know, because that's not Kalis. It's, well, it's, um, the Kalis clone is not actually a clone of Kalis. Yeah. And I was thinking, I was trying to remember, I was like, oh, is it, is he a clone of the brother? I couldn't remember, um, who he was a clone of. Right. So reading through it, I was like, oh, it's, it's not his brother. No, well, <laughs> it doesn't look like it <laughs> since uh, what happened. And the thing about this is they got the main storyline and then they've got these little, like, what, he's remembering things from the past and then they kind of slip it in there in, in kind of different ways, little uh, panels in some cases that tell a story with just a bunch of little panels and little to no uh, dialogue. And it's, right. a li- it's a little disorienting. For me, I found a little disorienting, and and I don't, and I'm not sure I 100% interpreted some of the smaller vignettes correctly. Uh, well, we'll talk about it. Yes, we will. Or am I misremembering? Is was the clone actually Kalis, or did they say that it wasn't even Kalis? I can't remember. I don't. It's remember. been a while. Uh, uh, all and, I and, yeah, go ahead. All I know is I thought the clone was Kalis, but. What you say could have been a big reveal at the end that I've put out of my mind. Yeah, I might be misremembering it in that um, maybe it was him. And I'm thinking of some other expanded universe stuff okay. that may or may not be canon anymore. Well, the clone of Kalos was in some of the expanded universe next-gen stuff. Right. Big time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think those Typhon Expanse books, maybe. Right. Yeah, I can't remember. Anyways... You want to just jump into the first one? The, Let's do the, it. Because we've already kind of... <laughs> we, we've already started, we've kind of. We've spoiled it. <laughs> Not everything. All right, so, no, no. All right, so I'll go in. This came out February 2022. It would set you back a whopping seven ninety nine if you bought it off the rack brand new. 
Writers are Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Artists by Timothy Green II of Magnus Arts. Colorist DC Alfonso. Letterer Neil Yutaki. Senior editor Heather Antos. And editorial assistant Vanessa Real. And it seems like there was two covers, although one cover is really the only main one and the other one's maybe like really rare. So the main cover shows a Klingon. So now we know that it's a uh, Kalis. But in the background, we see like his face, giant picture of his face. And then in the foreground, we see Kalis holding a uh, batleth with his uh, left hand outreached. And then the incentive cover is just a normal comic book drawing of Kalis holding up a batleth towards the reader. So the second cover was by... Oh, I can't find the artist. Hmm. I don't know who the artist was on the second cover, but the first cover was by Timothy Green, who did the inside art, too. So the story is kind of broken into two stories. One is kind of a flashback montage that's told throughout the story, and it's about Kalis's childhood with his brother. And then the main story, which is which is probably the proper story, is uh, Kalis's bringing honor to the Klingon people. So to kind of make it easy, I'm going to give you the flashback story altogether, and then I'm going to give you story the main story altogether, instead of trying to jump back and forth. So, story one, called, in my head, Kalis's Childhood. We see, uh, growing up, Kalis and his older brother, Morath, and how they learn to be a Klingon from their father. So they practice fighting. You see them going on hunts for Targ and cooking them up at night. They learn about the three ruling factions over Kronos that set atop a bridge called Three Turn Bridge, which is shaped like the Klingon symbol, but at each point it connects to the top of a volcano. So basically it's just hanging over this giant pit of molten lava. For some reason, and again, none of these flashbacks have word balloons, so it's all just driven by the art. So for some reason, Morath and the father have some sort of falling out, and Morath seems to kill him in cold blood while they're fighting. But it's kind of implied maybe that it was out of anger or something like that. And then Kalis and Morath start their epic fight, which has been mentioned in many of the episodes about how they fought for 12 days straight. Then we see the very end of that fight where Morath tires and is eventually taken out by Kalis using his new weapon, the Batleth. And then we get to the proper story. This is where Kalis brings honor to his people. So basically it takes place as soon as his brother is killed. Kalis then travels the desert to the volcano where the three bridges are. On his way, he actually domesticates the first wild Targ. And this Targ is so loyal that it allows it to be strapped to his back while Kalis is climbing to the volcano summit. Once he's at the top, individually, he meets with the three ruling clans. To each one of them, he states that uh, they are all without honor. And he meets with them and he tries to get them to renounce their old ways and follow this new path of honor they refuse they throw wine at him they mock him and stuff like that but eventually he just says that uh, he's renouncing their gods their warlords and their masters and then he starts going out to the people of the three regions and he pronounces that he's bringing them honor and this is something that cannot be controlled by others uh, it is only controlled by the Klingon's heart that holds it. So by communicating with the uh, the common folk, this angers the three leaders, and they finally agree on one thing, and that is to kill this troublesome prophet from the wilderness. We get several pages of Kalis in the middle of the bridge fighting off the three armies that are all converging on him at once. And because he's using his newly formed Batleth, he's able to easily defeat them all while they're using spears, swords, knives, things like that. Once all three armies are defeated, and there's mounds of dead Klingons all around him, a spaceship arrives. 
and places a spotlight on Kalis while he's standing in the middle of the bridge. Kalis thinks maybe gods are real after all. But he raises his head and he makes a challenge to the spacecraft and then it eventually just flies off and leaves. The three tribes of Klingons are now seeing what he has to offer and they decide to follow this newcomer. When one of them asks Kalis if this was all out of vengeance, Kalis says that it was nothing other than honor and then he turns around and walks away. The end. So, what'd you think, Ken? I think I want to know about the spaceship. Yes, what the <clears throat> Yes. <laughs> so, I don't know if you ever watched Fargo, the TV series, but there's an episode there where all of a sudden a spaceship comes into it. And it's like, uh, there's a spaceship in the show. And this is like, I don't know, seven episodes into the season or whatever it was. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, UFO. And that's what this was like to me. It's like, what the heck? Of course, this is Star Trek, so of course they're spaceships. But in this context, so far in the past, I mean, at this time period, they don't have space travel, right? No. Or do they? They don't, right? Yeah, okay, fine. I mean, he actually says, I swear no magic will keep my blade of honor from your dark heart, blah, blah, blah. So he's he's saying this this spaceship is magic. So, okay. So it it is long enough ago. Who, who, Who are these people? Right, and why they show up just then. Right. I mean, is this the equivalent of uh, the Vulcans making first contact with humans? Is that what this is trying to be? And if so, what alien race is this? Right. I don't know. I mean, they have implied in the past that the reason why the Klingons are still adversarial is that they were given warp drive. Too they soon. were given warp drive. They, weren't, they didn't earn it. Right. right. And that's why the Vulcans were always so cautious with the humans to not give it to them too early because they saw the mistake with the Klingons. So I'm wondering, is is that what this is alluding to? But still, it seems like it's really early in their life. Right. And, I mean, they and don't even have they? guns yet, and yet suddenly here comes a, a spaceship. Right. One time I had read something about Earth had given the Klingons warp drive or something. And it's like, that's BS. That Time-wise, it doesn't make any sense. Right. So I, I'm wondering who it, who did. If indeed that was the case, some right. alien race gave it too early and they didn't earn it. I'm thinking that it's mentioned in Enterprise. Is it? it either the Andorians gave it to them too early or the Vulcans mm. themselves gave it to them too early. Ah. But that's why they, the three of them don't get along. Oh, that's why they don't get along? Well, I think it's... I, I know the Andorians and the Vulcans hate each other. <laughs> Right. In Enterprise. Very competitive against each other. But it's been a while, so I might be misremembering it or reading too much into it. I, I can't remember. Right. <laughs> you think that we're, since we have the audacity to do a uh, podcast about Star Trek, we, we would know these things? Know more we would know more. everything? <laughs> well, I think you can't know everything. But I always took it that somebody gave it to them too early, and yes, that, that's what caused them to not be at peace, you know, not have a unified Earth like we do in the future. Right. Uh, Have all this bickering and... uh, All the houses. Yeah, all the houses. Having the real power. When I found out this was going to be about Kalis, I was really hoping we would see him forging the first Batleth with his hair and all that stuff, (sighs) especially if he was going up to the volcano. I was like, oh. But then then I'm like, oh, he already has the Batleth. Yeah. So we pick it up after he magically made... (laughs) <laughs> made the Batleth. And by the way, the father who taught them how to fight, uh, the yeah. brother and Kalis, he has something that kind of sort of looks like a half a Batleth. Yeah, but it's not, so don't worry about it. What? No, but, <laughs> I no but, but you know what I mean. I mean, yeah, it's, no, it's like no. a handle and it's got the curved blade coming out the top and then it has a little thing going down over your hands. Right. Uh, another blade coming down. So it's kind of sort of uh, like a half battleth, but not quite. Right. So that's obviously how he learned. Because quite frankly, later on, when, when he's, he's in that triangle bridge between the three competing houses that are separated by the Grand Canyon and that kind of thing, yeah. and he takes on all those guys, that's a lot of people to be taken on. I don't Is care it whether a canyon or it's a it's a I thought it was a Is volcano. Is it a canyon? Is it? Oh, 
I thought I thought they were like I thought it was like like uh, like it was like a uh, a flat piece of mountain top or something yeah, that's bisected right. three ways into three yep. pieces. No, I think you're right. So if you fall off that bridge, you're probably gonna die. Oh yeah, no matter what. Yeah. I, I thought it was over molten lava, but now that now that I'm looking at it, you don't actually see what's at the bottom. Yeah, I think it's more a canyon kind of thing. Mm. Well, it's like a crater because it does come up on. Yeah, it's weird. Well, it's like if the what's that big crater in in Arizona? Um, Meteor crater. Yeah, what's the really big one? Meteor crater. Is that what it's called? It's yeah, <laughs> meteor crater. <laughs> yes, it, they right, they, so they weren't I, too creative. Imagine meteor crater, <laughs> and it's right on the San Andreas fault line. That's yeah. what it looks like. Yeah, you're right. So there's one major rift, and it's a big one, and uh, and it's create it's it separates not only the crater but it keeps going. So there go your San Andreas fault thing, and right. then there's there's a few smaller faults, but the main point is there's three chunks of flatland within the crater of the volcano. You're right. It does look like a vol. It's probably a volcano uh, crater as opposed to a meteor crater. But anyway, it's split up into three major uh, chunks of land that you could actually put a small town in, and they are small. So these are the only Klingons in the entire homeworld. I don't think so. It looks like not a lot of people. Anyway, yeah, whatever. But anyways, but the I main love point: the bridge thing, though. The bridge thing is great. So it's kind of in it's kind of in the shape of the Klingon symbol. Not kind of, it is. Well, okay, fine. But anyway, get to beginning back to my original point. He's got like, it's like one of those Japanese movies or something where 15 jillion guys are coming at the hero or something, and somehow they, they kill them all. So he's got like 20 guys coming at him from three vectors, and he's just dicing them all up, chopping off hands and everything. And it's like, you know, some of this stuff is supposed to be legend, Right. Because the whole story of Kalis, it sounds like mythology. Right. Like, like, it's like, oh, come on. He made a batleth from his hair. Come on. In a volcano. Come on. And then he takes on, you know, like 60 guys. Come on. Right. Right. But they're presenting it like it's real. Like, this is history. Right. So I just don't. And yes, he has a superior weapon. Fine. But it's still one guy. Sure. No, 100% agree with you. So. I just thought and, it, little, and it's never clear time. where he's getting this. Uh, it never he never really even explains what his stance is, what what his new religion or what his new beliefs. It just he just keeps saying honor, like like it means something. Like the people are just supposed to know. Oh, honor. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does value honor. Yes, that's true. But that's it. He doesn't explain what it is. What does it mean? Yeah. What does that mean? I'm honoring the gods. You know, it's just like, uh, not very clear, yeah. but it's not supposed to be. Right. But the main point is he goes on to unify these three groups of people, these three houses. Right. Right. I mean, they don't show that, but basically that's what happens, right? Right. Okay. Yeah, because in the flashbacks, it shows him several times with his dad and his dad showing mm-hmm. him these three flags. So I, I just kind of took it that those are the three ruling councils. Over all of Kronos. Okay. And, and, and just... like, the crater is, like, the Washington, D.C. Oh, uh, I got you. Where, where all the leaders are. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that would That's make That's the way sense. I read it, but, again, there's no dialogue saying that that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some stories are good when they don't necessarily tell you everything, and you get to figure it out yourself. Right. It's just that sometimes, you know, if they don't give you enough to go on, then... You sometimes go off into misinterpretation land. But. Sure. I thought the wild targ thing was a little weird. Unfitted. Yeah, I mean, it didn't really serve a purpose other than he did it. He fought a targ, he befriended the targ, and then he climbed up the mountain with the targ, and then <laughs> just kind of disappears. Well, no, he's there. He just doesn't do anything. Like, he's there on the bridge during the fight. Right. But I right. don't see him doing much. Yeah, it's not like he's taking out any of the people for him. Right. And he doesn't get killed by the, you know, 60 warriors coming at him. So that's good. But, yeah, other than that, what's his function? It's I mean, they a, do. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, what's his function other than just to say, hey, Caleb's a pretty cool guy. He likes dogs. <laughs> okay. 
I mean, I, I think there was a, I think they do mention that he, he domesticated the Targ mm. in, in one of the shows, but it's like a throwaway line, you know, yeah. like, didn't necessarily need to see it. Right. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe Lansing and uh, what's his name decided you did. And that's it. Yeah. And so Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly were, were they the, the guys behind uh, season five, season four? I mean, I've, they've done a lot of IDW Star Trek books, right? I, I don't remember the name. Name's not jumping out at me. Oh, those those guys working together doesn't jump out at you? Okay. Uh, no, sorry. Okay, that's fine. They suffice to say they've done other things. I thought they were one of the main driving forces behind Year Five, but I could be wrong on that. Um, anyway, yeah. I think the artwork is awesome. Very good yep. artwork. Absolutely. Uh, Top notch. You know, realistic, not cartoony at all. And it uh, looks really good. I especially like, they put a lot of time artwork wise into the foreheads. So Kalis has a very unique looking forehead. And many Which of does the other... look like the, the clone in uh, Next Generation. Okay, there you go. So. Uh, I have not seen that recently enough to know, but they seem to make... In many of the panels, they show his forehead so often, and it's very unique looking. I was thinking, you know, I bet this is in sync with how they presented Kalis in the past on the the TV show. Right. Okay, good. Yeah, I was kind of hoping they would show him looking more like the Discovery Klingons for some reason. When I first heard that it was going to be about... Kalis, I was like, oh, it'd be kind of cool to see another take on Because we've seen smooth-headed Kalis. Mm-hmm. We've seen bumpy-headed Kalis. I wanted to see Play-Doh purple Kalis. <laughs> no. No? I didn't. No? I, I, I feel I've missed nothing. Although I will... <laughs> I, the way they've drawn them, it's like, in many, in many of these panels, except for the forehead, he looks awful lot like Worf. Yeah, I yep. mean the, the the mouth and a bit of the nose and maybe the eyes. I don't know, but you know, except for the the different shaped forehead, he, he a lot of these panels he's looking like Worf. That's true, which is fine, but they can look like other things than just Worf. Now, as far as the art goes, yeah. Uh, what do you think of the pages, like when he's talking to the three councils, and it's kind of these little tiny... Um, oh, those? Those little panels? tiny boxes, yeah, little yeah. tiny panels, and they're, they're spread over two different pages, yeah. and they are not in chronological order. So it's like... Confusing? That's what I yeah. think of it. So it's like one council member's talking and then that's Kalis's face and then another council member's then it's Kalis's face and then it's Kalis's face and it's that first guy again and then that's the second guy now it's the third guy and it's just like uh, I get that he's giving them all the same spiel and, and none of them are taking it seriously but it's also a little again like you said confusing I think you're meant to just let it wash over you right and you, you get the point that way without having to, like, oh, well, who is this person? And wasn't that person there a little while ago? And it's like, eh. I think you're supposed <laughs> to just let it wash over you. Very artistic. Just go with it. Exactly. All right. You got you. So there's, uh, a female, it, it, there's a female leader who's very rude. Is it the female leader that, yeah, they're all... that throws the <laughs> wine in his face or the blood wine? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. she's the one that throws it at me. And, uh, and the other one, another one's really old. Uh, and then the last guy is just, uh, ugly and obnoxious. We've yeah, the eight. old guy, he's the one that's, like, still, like, worshipping the gods, right? Oh, no, no, maybe that's the, la- the last guy. But... Well, they all want Worf, or not Worf, they all want Galus. <laughs> To pledge allegiance to them. So I guess right. their big thing is the three houses keep on, they're like constantly recruiting. Is that the right. deal? I guess. I so they know. get more people and they can take over the other ones if they got enough people on yeah. their side. Right. Yeah. But as far as like characteristics, the first guy, he has all these like human, or not human, 
Klingon heads on spikes around mm. his throne. And then the woman has all these gauntlets of blood wine. Mm. And then the third guy, and he says he's the son of no one. Their outfits look very much like traditional Klingon yes. clothing. That's another comment of mine. But he doesn't have any like characteristic as far as... I mean, it's just all stone. It doesn't have any heads or wine or anything. Just him and his very modern clothing. Right. And to your point about that one house having very Klingon-looking clothes, it's like they got five guys that are all bad-butt, kick-butt, soldier kind of guys. And they're definitely in uniforms that look like they could have could have been very at home at Next Gen. So this was supposed to be a long time ago, right? Supposed to be. So, so styles don't change much in Klingon land, I guess. Nope. Yeah. And also, the, the middle guy of the five warriors that are facing him, he's got two halves, or what looks like two halves of a batleth, but they just don't connect to each other. Yeah, they're not connected. Right. Right. So that's kind of... Oh, that's so close to what Kalis did. Mm-hmm. Just so, so close, but not so quite. Maybe that's really all he did with the hair. You know, he didn't create the first battle. He created the first handle that connects two of those swords. <laughs> maybe that's it. That, well, that would be more achievable, wouldn't you think? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm thinking hair inside lava. You're not going to be pulling out a bladed weapon. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I would think. But, uh... But I don't know. A lot of people think that uh, other religious stuff's a little hard to believe. So, well, what do you mean? We're gonna go with it. We're gonna go with it. That's just what they believe. <laughs> Ricky Gervais does a really interesting uh, little stand-up thing where he's reading the Bible, and it's it's pretty funny. Yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> okay. You have anything, anything else, else to say? I mentioned everything. So, as far as the flashbacks go. Did you catch why the brother killed the dad? No. Yeah, me either. No, he, he just was pissed off. He killed the dad. It looks like Kalis burned down his father's house. Right, right. So that one was a very serious, bloody tale. Yes. Do you think the Ferengi one will be just as bloody and serious? Just as bloody and serious. Just as bloody and serious. Let me guarantee. Let me guarantee it for you. I'm looking forward to that then. Yes. Okay, so let's move on to the ever-serious and violent Ferengi story. So this is Star Trek Ferengi. Published date is April 2022. And the writer is Christina Rice. Artist is Andy Price. Inker is Maria Keen. Colors by Charlie Kershoff. Letterer, Neil Yataki. Senior editor, Heather Antos. Editorial assistant, Vanessa Reel. Okay, we've got two covers. Cover A presents kind of a psychedelic cover, you know, with 60s hippie-style font saying, The future is female! And then right next to all that big text is, uh, is Quark, who is sitting, holding a much smaller sign that says, Not on my station! And he's looking all defeated, while Moogie, who is standing behind him, pats his head and raises her right hand in a fist as if to say viva la woman power so this no this this isn't serious at all so this is all played for laughs retailer incentive cover features a lovely young comely Ferengi woman who actually has clothes on shocking oh the blasphemy of women and that cover is by alexandra bigways 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 um i'm not i'm not sure how to pronounce it but there you go so lots of ladies involved in, in the production, which is great. And it's a story that's going to be a way of getting maybe a little bit more independence started in the female Ferengi world. On Deep Space Nine, in Quark's bar, sits Dr. Julian Bashir, who's been served a root beer, much to Quark's chagrin, as he thought his sales pitch for Sluggo Cola with 43% live algae in every bottle was spot on. He laments that it just must not be good enough for that annoying human. Across the bar, in a cloak and a hood, Quark spots what appears to be a female Ferengi wearing clothes. How disgusting. As she moves quickly across the bar, he wonders if it could be Moogie. 
Is he seeing things? Is it time for him to visit Moogie? Nah, that's not it. He must find out, though. And the chase is on. Quark runs the gauntlet of people trying to get his attention, but he avoids them all since he cannot lose his quarry. Eventually, the chase leads to Rom's quarters, where he sees her enter. What is Rom up to? The woman's name is Amron, and Rom knows her through Moogie. Quark tries to listen at the door, but can't hear much. He figures Rom has a female servant. He must know, so he uses Rom's key codes and barges in. Rom tries to get Quark to leave, but Quark tries to charm himself into an introduction. The conversation goes south when Quark objects to her wearing clothes, and she tells him to kiss off. Rom rushes her out of the room and to an awaiting ship where Amron gives latinum to the human captain for her passage to the Gamma Quadrant. Back at the bar, Rom explains to Quark that Moogie has been funding the departure of females off of Franganar. Quark asks where in the Gamma Quadrant are they going? Quark suddenly decides to get his own answers and says he is going to see Moogie. Rom says he'd better be coming with him. They both arrive in Franganar and go to Moogie's house. Quark is mad, and Moogie knows what about, so she makes him deposit latinum into a box mounted on the wall before she is willing to talk to him. Might as well make some profit if one has to go through an unpleasant conversation. Quark accuses her of paying for smuggling females to the Gamma Quadrant, and Moogie denies it. After a short pause, she says they are paying their own way to the Gamma Quadrant. Quark is stunned and inconsolable. The Nagus will have his neck when he finds out. Moogie steps up onto her soapbox and states how Ferengi culture is wrong. Women should have the right to be independent, to wear clothes if they want, at the very least. Quark continues his rant against any changes to the status quo when the doorbell suddenly rings. Moogie answers it and lets in a friend of hers named Bong. <laughs> or Bo- I'm going to call him Bong. Yeah, I like that name. B-O-N-G-E. He says someone named Kelso has been arrested. The authorities know what he's been doing, and they confiscated his ship. Moogie says, there goes their ride to Deep Space Nine. One of her girls named Karav was discovered and confined to her father's home. Bong leaves and Moogie tries to coerce Quark and Ram into taking Karov to DS9. Another knock at the door and Liquidator Brunt enters the house, snidely commenting on Moogie's wearing clothes. He is looking for trouble and delighted when he sees Quark is there. He tries to pin all this female smuggling on Quark. Brunt leaves when he admits he has no proof but says Quark will regret he did not cooperate with him while he had the chance. Quark says he will not help Moogie to smuggle Karov off to Deep Space Nine, but Moogie appeals to his greed, and Quark finally agrees to do it since she is the daughter of the Sluggo Cola chairman and very rich. Quark and Rom make their way to the Sluggo Cola mansion separately from Moogie, since she must travel by tunnel. There are no plans, so they are just going to have to wing it. Moogie gets the girl out of the mansion, while Quark and Rom lock the butler guard in the underground tunnel Moogie came up through to get into the house. Quark and Rom catch up with the ladies further into the city but have no good way to get to Quark's ship at the starport. Since Quark is too cheap to maintain his transporter, that option's out. They get to the spaceport and see Quark's ship, but there are guards awaiting for them. Brunt's policeman, no doubt. Moogie gives Karov a bag of gold-plated latinum. They all say their goodbyes to Moogie as she leaves to make a distraction. Quark and Rom prepare to take the girl while Moogie executes a masterful distraction. 
She walks up to the five policemen confidently, introduces herself, makes a demand for female equality, and makes it very clear that she is a female wearing clothes. In utter shock and awe at the sight of a female in clothes that is actually speaking to them, Quark and his party are able to easily sneak aboard Quark's ship. Moogie gives Quark a wink as he looks back before entering his ship. Later on Deep Space Nine, Rom confirms to Quark that Karov made it through to the Gamma Quadrant. He also lets Quark know the Grand Negus let Moogie off with a warning against indecent non-exposure. What strange power does she have over the Negus? Bashir comes up to the bar, saying that he thinks he will try a slug-o-cola. Quark says he should stick with root beer and cracks open a cold one for the good doctor. The end. Slug-o-cola now with 23% more algae. Yes, isn't that amazing? It's just amazing. So, I didn't mention it, but it's like there are cameos all over the place. Right. Mostly they don't say anything, but sometimes they say little things. So Bashir gets to say a lot. But you see a lot of people in the background. Uh, some people say things, some don't. I didn't see a lot. I mean, there's that well, one shot when they're in the uh, at the bar. Well, you see Worf. You see Jazia Dax. Mm-hmm. You see Cisco. You see Kira. Uh, uh, the Dabo Girlita. Garak. Um, that's Ed a fair Gorn. number. See a Gorn. At the bar, at the oh, bar, which I thought was yep. weird. I, th- wasn't that weird? <laughs> I was not expecting a Gorn, but yeah, that, that's cool. And did I mention? I did mention Odo, right? Uh, you didn't, but yes, he's okay. definitely there. So he's there too. So a lot of little cameos, but you know, this is really a Ferengi story, right? Yeah, the uh, shot of Cisco, he's wearing his baseball uniform and uh, he's carrying around a baseball. It seemed a little weird. It did. Did he just come off the hollow deck and wind up a brewski? Right, I'm assuming so. (laughs) Yeah, normally he doesn't hang around at Quark's with a baseball uniform on, I would think. Right. Now that shot with Odo, or that page that has Odo in it, the Mm -hmm. next page, uh, did you see down at the bottom left-hand corner, there's those cat people from the animated series? Oh, no, I did not notice that. Yeah, it's a panel where Quark is saying, now where are you? But in the background, we can see one of those cat people wearing the pink and purple spacesuit. I thought that was kind of cool to see. Okay. I'm looking little, at it. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the, um, mm, what are they called again? Yeah. So, so those <laughs> are, oh, go ahead. No, I don't remember what they're called, but go ahead. You were going to say what I was going to say, so go. Oh. Okay, so it's not, um, what's her face? Uh, Mares, no. Mar- it's Mar- so it's not her, yeah. but it's the other ones um, that were in the animated series, right? Right. Which really, I, those characters, that race has popped up in other sci-fi, non-Star Trek sci-fi. Yeah, I was going to say, they're, I don't even think they're technically Star Trek characters. But they're just kind of like somehow used. Exactly. I thought that was very interesting that they used them. And Kazinti. it was kind of cool. Kazinti. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. And they're actually in, uh, they actually were in Lower Decks as well. Right. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That was a good joke. Where, where he's like standing up, you know, standing up normal. Right. And then all of a sudden, to make some point, the Kazinti that was in it, was like hunched over and stuff for a second. Right. I forgot what the, I forgot what the point was he was making, but <laughs> I, I thought that was great. Yeah, it's a good show. Yeah, Kazenti. Yeah. Cool. So is it kind of like how the Daleks aren't necessarily part of Doctor Who, but they're not? Like, it's like they're not owned by Doctor Who, but they're they're always like on loan or something. I don't really. You know, that's really interesting because I was just grabbing some media information for an audiobook, a Doctor Who audiobook. And it had mentioned that at one point in time, because it was for the Lost Stories, Doctor Who the Lost Stories, mm-hmm. and the whole point of the Lost Stories audiobooks is that they had written scripts, but for whatever reason, they, they didn't actually uh, produce them. So then they took them, they refitted them into audiobooks, and then sold them. But one of them 
one of the descriptions of it said that one of the reasons this was never produced is because the Daleks were supposed to be removed from Doctor Who so they could have their own series or something. Right, like the the Defenders or something like that. Oh, was yeah. that what it was? Okay. Yeah, they were going to have their own show here in the United States, but it, it never got past the pilot. Oh, okay. Okay, so there was a time period when Doctor Who was going to remove the Daleks from any of the Doctor Who stuff and use them in the Defenders, I guess. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but, but Daleks came from the Doctor Who TV show, right? Right, but I think technically they were owned by the creator, and, and he could do whatever he wanted oh, to. Oh, so, is that what it was? Yeah. And so from what I understand, that's why they have to make so many Dalek episodes. Not only because that's what people want to see, uh-huh. but they have to like use those characters ever so often to keep the, the license. Oh, that's <laughs> to so use funny. That's so it's weird. really weird. It's really weird. Huh. So, okay. Well, there you go. Anyways, so and I don't know what the backstory is on the Kazinti, but it's something like that. that mm. That's why they're in other stuff. In Archer's time, didn't they have a conflict with the Kazinti? Did they? I, don't I thought they did. Like even a Kazinti war or something. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm misremembering, but I, I thought it was back in Archer's time at some point. Okay. Again, I mean, how do we do a podcast about Star Trek and not know this stuff? <sighs> You can't know everything. Come on. Of course, there's somebody out there, maybe, listening, saying, <laughs> hopefully somebody is, saying, oh, you guys are idiots. You don't know anything. And I would say yes. Yes. Yes, we <laughs> yes are. you're right about that. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, Larry Niven, right? Did he, do, he, did he create the Kazinti? I think he did. Yeah. And I Terry Nation created the Daleks. I don't know why those two names popped in my head, but, but there you go. Yeah, Terry Nation did a lot of Doctor Who. And then I think he's the driving force that did Blake 7, I think. Mm. Anyways, that's not what we're here to talk about. No, we're here to talk about Star Trek. Anyways, I, th- I thought it was cool to see those, those guys. And yeah, they looked it was. like they did in the animated series. Yeah, so the artwork here is, to me, very reminiscent of the 60s and 70s comic books where mm-hmm. they just throw in a ton of detail you know, in the background and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And even, like like you said, some of the word balloons become artwork mm-hmm. all on their own. Yeah. Uh, and and I think, you know, maybe that's why there's so many background gags is just because every page is full. Right. And the idea of gags is appropriate because this is meant to be humorous. And, and sometimes the humor, some of it goes a little over the top and a little extreme. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. There's a great shot that I think is awesome where Quark is in the bar. This is towards the beginning. And he is turned and you see his back. And on his back, on his coat, you see an image of him, his face, and a little bit of dialogue. So it's kind, right. of, it's kind of cool. I mean, it's, it's weird. I, I've never <laughs> seen anything quite like that in a comic book. But it's it's weird and cool. So that worked for me, but there are other things in the comic book that don't work for me, artwork-wise. Yeah. yeah, now I haven't read a ton of... I mean, I've read a ton of comic books, but I'm mm-hmm. not going to say I've read every comic book, right? Uh, that would be stupid to say something like that. But, uh, but when I was a kid growing up, you know, I grew up in the late 70s and 80s. One of my favorite comic books was Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a lot of this transitioning and things like that and that and that panel that you were talking about Mm -hmm. is stuff i remember seeing in the swamp thing comics Mm. where you know like like you said the upper panel is court turning around and then his back is the next panel which shows a completely different image and then Mm -hmm. underneath his arm is a completely different panel Mm -hmm. and then like when they go to ferenginar and and the word ferenginar Mm -hmm. is all plant-based and then it's kind of bleeding into the next panel which Mm -hmm. bleeds into the next panel Right. Again, that was like, oh my goodness, this is so much like those old Swamp Thing comics. Cool. Um, that I, I was like, I was having a, a cool little trip down memory lane just with those, with the artwork and the art style. Cool. Panel style. I don't want to say art style because I guess it's art style. It's art. Know. Yeah. But pa- in the specific area of panel transitions? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you never really think of panel transitions that much, but but it's here. It, well, it is because, yeah. You're completely right. 
I do agree. That is, that's very clever. Another thing interesting, uh, speaking of panel transitions, well, maybe not, let's just say transitions. I think it was the third Strange New Worlds episode where there is a very eye-catching, unusual transition, the likes of which I don't think I've ever seen before, but I'm sure somebody's done it before, where it transitions from one place on the ship to a different place on the ship. And you know those two places are not next to each other. Oh, right. But they're kind of overlapping. So one shot is in uh, sickbay with Mbenga. And then I forgot what the other one was. It it was uh, number one's quarters. So it started at number one's quarters, and then it like panned to the right, and then then all of a sudden we were in sickbay. Yeah, and I know exactly what you was That was like, what? Am I, what's going on here? Yeah. I thought that was cool. Yeah, they they did. They've done that a lot on on Strange New Worlds, which I really like. Oh, they've done that a lot. Oh, okay. That's yeah, the first time I've the, seen it on the alien ship in the second episode. I remember them doing it there too. Oh, okay. And then they definitely did it in this last episode, uh, episode four. So okay. I don't want to say it because you haven't seen it. But I haven't seen episode four yet. But yeah, I guess that's going to be one of their one okay of their things, which I so, really like. It, it really gives you a comic book feel, kind of. It thing. does. I mean, it's almost like a. You know how Star Wars did the uh, the slow pan, the wipe? Right, right. Uh, which it was an older style of transition that, that, they, that they used. I thought that was great. And then I guess this is just another transition style that I, I haven't seen. I don't remember seeing before. Okay, so I yeah. missed it in episode two. They did it in episode three. They did it in episode four. So maybe they're using it a bit much. Um, has that happened in other video productions that you're aware of? Um, well, I know they did it, uh, the first time I ever noticed it, and I'm not going to say this is the first time they did it, but the first time me as, as a watcher, mm-hmm. I, I noticed that it, it was happening was Resident Evil, of all things. Uh, the, one of the movies? The, the first movie, okay. the one by Paul W.S. Anderson. Yeah. It does that, where it was oh. like this, it was like going from a close-up to a wide shot to a close-up as, as the character was walking, mm-hmm. and they would walk behind a pillar. And then when they got to the other side of the pillar, it was now a wide shot. And then she would cross the pillar again, it would be a close-up. And it was just like, I remember watching it going, oh my goodness, what a clever way of, you know, making you feel uneasy because you never know what's going to happen after she crosses the, or crosses behind that next pillar. Right. I mean, it's not quite the same thing, but it was the first time I was like, really saw what you could do with a camera. Right. You know, that, to just do a transition like that. But yeah, I've seen it in quite a few things. Okay, well. But it is cool when, when you see it. And it's even cooler when you don't notice it. And, and, and then somebody points it out to you and you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't even notice. Well, yeah, and the interesting thing about this, because this is where computer imagery comes into it. I mean, it's not like there's a pillar between right. the two things. This is a more of a... This is not a line between the two, <laughs> at least the one I'm That's talking true. about. No, you're right. And the third one. You know, it's it, the one scene has a very non-linear uh, shaped transition into the next one. Yeah, and, and and I can see where with old optic editing techniques that would be that would be difficult to achieve. Yeah. So. But yeah, no, that's cool. It's cool that you brought it up with this with this issue specifically because yeah. it does. It's kind of the same thing. Well, it's kind of similar, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. because definitely. The, the transition between the one scene with Quark looking at him from the back and the next one is it follows the line of his jacket and his arm. Right. So that's right. Uh, definitely jaggedy. Anyway, another thing I thought was a bit comic bookish was when Brunt comes into the house, Boogie's house, he's like hunched over and kind of like a <laughs> 19, you know, a silent era, snidely whiplash kind of thing. Right. And, uh, and when he leaves back out her house, he's the same way. He's like hunched over and his arms up. Like if he had a cloak on, it would be, dry, it would be hanging <laughs> down from his, his, and, his, his elevated arm. And, and there's, there's lightning. lightning. Exactly. Yeah. There's lightning in the background. Like, oh, he's a bad guy. Yeah. yeah that's kind of funny. That's, that's, that's funny. I like it. It's a little over the top, but I like it. Sure. No, I, 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 I love Brunt. He's, he's one of my favorite Ferengi. yes the nemesis quark's nemesis the one that you're not supposed to like 
Yeah. You like him because you don't like him. He's oh, yeah. So, well, you so, got to have a bad guy. you got to have somebody for the good guy to compete against. Right. So um, her little underground pathways and stuff. Oh, right. The tunnel I guess, work. I guess that's over. She can't use those again because they locked the guard in there, and now the guard knows they exist. Well, are all the – okay, so there's tunnels – that at least go between Moogie's house and this Sluggo Cola mansion. Mm-hmm. So that's probably a pretty long tunnel. Yep. That apparently connects to other things too. I guess. Yeah, you would so, think so. So would would the men really not know anything about those? Or is it one of those things that they would allow? Or maybe it's um, like servants. That's, servants things? That's where servants are supposed to... I don't know. But, transverse. But but the whole point is supposed to be... Uh, when you're... You're not supposed to have clothes. So if you want to go anywhere beyond your house... Well, you can't be seen. So you got to go through a tunnel. Mm. So... Is that one of those things that they allow? Just because they can't keep them locked up constantly? I don't know. Or maybe it isn't. And maybe yeah, you're right. I don't know. And maybe it's compromised, and they can never use it yeah, again. That's what I was thinking. I yeah. was like, oh my goodness, her, her network of underground pathways is now ruined. Yeah. So how do you like her gold box? Oh, I love it. That, that's in That's been in Deep Space Nine before. The, uh, was it? Little, I, yeah. I don't remember it, but, <laughs> but yeah, the whole idea that if you want to talk to your mother, you've got to put a slip of latinum inside of a box. It's yeah. kind of funny. It's really funny. And then the look on her face when Quark tries to talk to her, and she said, "Did you make a deposit?" And she's pointing like a, <laughs> you know, a Price is Right model <laughs> at the new car, but it's the box, you know, yeah. and it, 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 like she's selling it. Yeah. And it's like Quark. Then he puts the the latinum in and can talk to her. And then that. she's like, "Oh yes, what do you need to talk about?" And then um, she does the same thing to Brunt. Is it Brunt? Yeah, Brunt. When he comes in? Yep. <laughs> it's great. Now, that, now, that's funny. Not all the jokes land in this book, but that lands. Yeah, and that's a joke that they had Deep Space Nine, so yeah. it's kind of cool to see it carry over. Yeah. I think I told you offline that a lot of the Ferengi episodes, when they were 100% Ferengi-specific, mm-hmm. they they were always hit or miss for me. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they worked, sometimes they didn't. Yeah. But, now th- this one was good. I mean, just... It really felt like an episode of Deep Space Nine, where the other it book did. did not. It was yeah. like its own thing. It was very much its own thing. Yeah. And the good thing about this, though, is it was like an episode of Deep Space Nine, but they went to a lot of places. I mean, they were on Ferenginar, they were on Deep Space Nine, they went to a lot of places on Ferenginar. So, um, which we would have never seen on the show, like exactly, this because they didn't have the budget, exactly, to make all those sets and everything. Yeah. So that's cool. One joke that did not work for me is when Moogie tripped Quark and he fell face first into a uh, street puddle, a puddle of water in the street. Yeah, I didn't even get what, why she did that. Well, she gave the excuse that she had to stop him, but she couldn't yell at him because then that would be a female yelling in a street mm. that would get attention. But I think she just had fun doing it. But it, it obviously it was supposed to be slapstick humor. Right. As Quark is headlong into the water going, G-A-A-A-A-H, exclamation mark. Yeah, well, Rom falls too, so. Yeah, yeah. She gets them both. She gets them both. That's a long foot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's cute. Yeah, it's cute, but it's, I think it's meant to be really humorous. I I didn't find it that funny. Not a lot of I found it unnecessary. I found it to be filler. So I guess this was maybe done in the, with all the psychedelic stuff, like hmm. 60s, mm-hmm. and kind of mimicking the women's movement of the 60s and stuff like that. You I think, think so. that's what they're going with? I think that's what they're going with. Yeah. Because uh, some of the big lettering of whatever words or phrase they wanted to really get in your face, that was mm-hmm. huge, kind of like enhanced, what, enhanced reality? Whatever. Uh, but... The font style definitely reminded me of something I would have seen in Laughing or something. Laughing, that's what I was going to say. Back in the day. Yeah. Laughing and Batman are about the only 60s show that I remember watching. You know, because all that stuff was old. 
You didn't watch it. Oh, I guess and Star Trek. But I'm talking about like <laughs> You don't remember Star Trek. Yeah, <laughs> I'm talking about stuff set in the quote unquote modern time. Right. Well Yeah. And, and that kind of psychedelic. I mean, they were both kind of going for the same audience, I think. Batman and uh, Laughing. Well, Laughing was decidedly a comedy. I mean, that was, you know, skit comic. You don't think Batman was? Well, um, it was going for humor also. <laughs> it, was an, it was an adventure. It was an and adventure, it had too. The Bam and Biffs, just like this does. <laughs> True. True. Bam, Biffs. Sock. Whatever. Yeah, um, that's the last really, thing I have to say. I don't say. have anything else to say either. Yeah. yeah there really wasn't... I mean, it, it was nice. It was light, obviously. Light entertainment. I still kind of wonder why they're sending women, Frankie women, into the Gamma Quadrant. Obviously, this is supposed to be set before we find out that it's not good to be in the Gamma Quadrant because of the right. founders and stuff. But Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's still colonies and stuff in the Gamma Quadrant. It's not all bad. Well, they began doing colonies, and then I think as soon as, you know, the Jem'Hadars started coming through, I think their colonization activities cut back a bit. Yeah, I agree. So, Agreed. And you're kind of wondering what happened to those colonies, those outposts that did start. Oh, that's depressing. Yes. Well. Hmm. Anywho. All right, anything else? I got nothing else. I, got, I, I enjoyed both books. They were nice little... Little yeah. bits of entertainment. At the time of recording, we have not found out what the next Star Trek spotlight will be, mm-hmm. but I don't know if they're going to keep going with different species or if they're going to you know, maybe do something different. Like a, a Wolf 359 issue would be kind of cool. you know, Something that shows a details. particular battle and not necessarily uh, one race versus another. I don't know. Just It would be cool to see something other than just, you know, here's yet another race. Yeah. On YouTube, I've seen videos where the YouTube content creator had created a depiction of uh, a battle that was referred to. Like, Oh, really? Right. With, with the Borg or with who? Well, this particular one was during the Romulan Earth War. Ah, okay. So that was very interesting because it actually had Archer and an XO-1 uh, and Columbia and a lot of other, you know, Delta Wing kind of different... Earth ships. Anyway, it was pretty cool because there were lots of engagements. So, I mean, this was this wasn't showing people or anything. This was showing like graphics of different parts of uh, of the Milky Way and showing groups of ships moving and a lot of narration talking about what was going on and uh, what gambles the other side, you know, each side played and that kind of thing. So. Mm-hmm. I found that, I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, if they could do something like that in a multi-issue book, that'd be kind of interesting. I mean, Wolf 359 was just one battle. Right. But that would be interesting to see the lead up to it, see more details of the engagement, and then a little bit about the aftermath before the Enterprise showed up. But one of these other things where there are multiple engagements going on uh, would be kind of interesting. I mean, it's a little bit like, it's a little bit like, what they did with the first season of uh, Discovery it's right. with the Klingon War. Right. But they didn't really focus as much on the engagements. Right. Yeah, it always so. off screen. I think something like that could be kind of cool in a book. Uh, and maybe it's only a few issues. I don't know. But. Right. If they are going to keep doing species specific stuff, I wouldn't mind, you know, a Denobulan uh, issue. You know, maybe. What happened to Dr. Flox when he got back after Enterprise? Mm -hmm. That would be interesting. To see all his wives? Yep. And husbands. (laughs) I forgot about the husbands. Huh. Yeah, there's like six, right? I I do not recall numbers. Anyways. (laughs) Wacky race. Cool. Okay, well, speaking of other types of entertainment what we'll be listening to next time on the review um, we're going to get back to mirror war and we're going to do issues number three and four because we had already done zero one two and data right and we did that a while ago right. so crank the Wayback machine to episode 354 
where we did uh, Mirror War 1 and 2. Yeah, that was back when we thought we were all caught up and then we kind of <laughs> missed a few right. uh, in the series. There you go. That sounds great. Let's get back to that. Yep. No, it should be fun. See Picard and his guns. Yeah. Yeah. And Riker's braided beard. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for listening and uh, hope to see you or hear you next week. Sounds great, Donovan. See you next time on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.